Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I'm going to jump right into it. My guest today is Select Members from the Movers and Shakers, a blues, funky, soul, rock band from Denver. That's how I'm going to describe it. How's that? And by the way, I did not select the members. I didn't exclude anybody. They just brought who they brought. I invited, uh, I, I was texting with Kyle Borthick, the drummer, and uh, he said he had was listening to one or two of the episodes, and I said, well, you guys are on my list, so come on over. And he's accompanied by his son, Ryan Borthick, who's the guitarist in the band, and the lead singer, Andy Weber. It was my first time interviewing more than one person at at the same time for the podcast. It was an interesting but but fun dynamic. It was, it was a little different than usual. And they all had great things to say. The father-son dynamic is pure gold. And... Uh, and Andy was a great was a great conversation. He had a really interesting childhood. Um, and we got into the band, everybody's musical upbringing, um, what they're planning on recording next, uh, what's next for the band, and, and the death of the sudden uh, tragic passing of their trumpet player, Scott Sessions. So all that and more in this episode. Uh, this, this, is, this is one of my favorite ones so far. It was, I think it turned out great. So give it a listen. If you like what you're hearing, uh, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star review and a rating. It really helps out a lot and it means a lot. Okay, let's get into it. My conversation with the Movers and Shakers. This is uh, the first time I've interviewed more than one person at a time. This is a big step for me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be all right, Andy. We have faith in you. It's yeah. a fresh experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got Kyle Borthick. Say hello. Hey there. I've got Ryan Borthick. Hey. And Andy Weber. Hey, how's it going, folks? From the band Movers and Shakers. And uh, they're all sitting in. This is uh, about a fifth of the band. That's all we could fit in the room. True. <laughs> right. <laughs> But they're they're hanging out with me in the basement this morning, um, so I kind of want to just jump in first with how did you guys each individually get into music? And Kyle, we can start with you. What was the process? We'll go chronologically. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Going way back to the ancient times. Um, actually, my my granddad was a big influence on me as a kid. Every, everybody loved my granddad. His name was Gola Hiram Roberts, and he was a very unique individual. And uh, and he was a percussionist and a drummer. Uh, he played xylophone as well as drums. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like him and Ringo. Those those are my two heroes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And uh, really, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. The first time I saw a set of drums, it was, it was like the Holy Grail, you know, I heard choirs of angels. It was like, oh, this is what I want to do is play drums. And so my granddad gave me his old World War I marching drum and these gigantic drumsticks and, uh, and a practice pad. And at that time, we lived down in New Orleans, 
and uh, the radio station down there was cool, man. I mean, you would hear the Beatles and the Beach Boys and all that, but you would also hear Otis Redding and and the Meter, or you know, Art Neville and Aaron Neville and and stuff like that. So anyway, I would sit on my bed and hammer out grooves and try my best to do that. So anyway, that was you know, I was born in '57, so. We lived in New Orleans in the early 60s. The radio was awesome back then, you know. I mean, if a song came on that you didn't like, you waited two and a half minutes and another song would come on that you probably (laughs) would like. You know, and it was all good music. And um, anyway, I just, music um, always just held a fascination for me. Yeah, Uh, my, My parents weren't musicians i mean my mom played trumpet because gola forced her to and her sister the you know he had his daughters playing my granddad had his daughters playing instruments but once she was out of the house you know she got away from it but uh they did kind of nurture an appreciation for music and when we were kids like we took turns we could listen to a an lp uh, a bedtime and we took turns picking one so you know that was kind of cool. Did the youngest sibling have to flip it over? <laughs> well, that, that would be you. Yeah, right. That was me. But I was into it, man. And the records they had uh, wasn't the hippest selection in the world, but it wasn't the worst either. I mean, they were into Broadway music. My old man was into Sinatra big time. You know, I mean, he really like loved Sinatra, and so a lot of that. And uh, and then my brother actually is kind of a big influence on me because um, he got into it early and he was buying Beatles records and Vanilla Fudge and you know everything that was coming out in the 60s and the big year for me was 67 when Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour came out and I was 10 years old and it was like the scene in The Wizard of Oz you know when the the house lands in Oz from the tornado and the door opens and everything turns into Technicolor. That's how 1967 was for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It blew my little 10-year-old mind. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to go back to that time. Yeah, me too. It was cool. What what was the first... uh, What age were you when you played in your first band? Uh... Well, uh, it was actually in high school, um, you know, and it was just guys screwing around. It wasn't serious. But my first paying gig, I, I, the way my age fell, I graduated when I was 17 and um, just so happened to see a, a card on the bulletin board at the local music store. These guys needed to rent a drum set. And they were coming into town for some gig, and it turned out they were – they had this funky band. It was like two guitars and and uh, and a guy that sometimes played drums but was really a bass player. Anyway, I, I talked to him and said, look, you can pay me 50 bucks to rent the drum set or I could just come play. <laughs> and anyway, I ended up moving to Colorado Springs to go play in their band at that time and that kind of started it all off. I've been working and paying gigs since that time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I so, loved it. So who's next in chronological order? Probably me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> three month difference. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, you know, with him, 
with my dad here working in bands as a full-time job i mean when i was a kid it was the only thing he was doing he didn't have a straight job that's right and so i I grew up in bars you know we were talking about this the other day that when (laughs) when i was a toddler i would be like you know on these patio bar gigs and i'd like curl up in the bass drum case on the side of the stage like right next to naps. my drums. Yeah, I'd look down and he'd be curled up in my bass. We we had a lot of patio bar gigs back then, you know, and uh, I'd curl up in my soft bass drum case and take a little snooze. Yeah. <laughs> All the band is blasting away around right. You slept through it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those things when you're a kid, you're just around stuff enough, everything becomes just like, oh, yeah, this is just normal. This, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Napping on stage, R&B band hammering away well it started in the womb actually because uh (laughs) we used to play at the little bear and evergreen a lot back in the day and before um, he was born yeah wow and my and my wife in those days the little bear you'd play either tuesday through saturday night or if you were on the rotation on the weeks that you were working someplace else sometimes you'd do the sunday afternoon gig which was a the place got packed on Sunday afternoons just about every Sunday. So my wife, Karen, would sometimes come out to get out of the house and, you know, she'd be pregnant. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because we're playing in our band now a couple of songs that we were playing in that band from JD and the Love Bandits in those days. <laughs> it cracks me up when we play those songs because Ryan literally heard these two songs that we're playing in the current band. In utero. In, in utero. <laughs> <laughs> About the time that Nirvana came out with the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, yeah. before that. <laughs> that would have been uh, 80, late 87, 88. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. What, was it, you, so you were born in 88? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. I was off by just a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so you know growing up around all that stuff it's like i don't know I, I think about it now and it's like oh that was that was not a normal way to grow up well like at the time it's just like oh that's this is what people do right yeah um yeah. so you know i kind of like grew up around the business that way i mean at the, yeah when i was a kid at the time it was jd and the love bandits and then and the Creighton holly band and all that stuff yeah so i'm sure bunch of your listeners are familiar with those dudes yeah and um and then like it's probably when i was eight was like my first that's well i played trumpet for a little bit when i was in like third grade and that just didn't really stick and then dad bought me a guitar i set him up he did set me up good he was like it's like, here, we'll go pick out a guitar. And instead of doing the thing like a lot of people do, where it's like, no, you're going to buy an acoustic guitar because it teaches you better form and it's good right. for strength building. He was like, he's a little kid. Little kids lose interest. And that's that's going to happen regardless. So we're going to buy a Ferrari Red Duo Sonic. Nice. Because <laughs> you'll lose interest in that in a little bit. And then the teenage years are coming. Right. And you can ignore a dusty old acoustic guitar in the corner, but you can uh-huh. only ignore a Ferrari Red Strap body. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah. That was my first one, too. Was it? Yeah. I still have it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a cool yeah. little guitar. Oh, yeah. That Duosonic, that short little neck. You know, it's nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. So, <laughs> so but you were growing up where uh, being a musician was, was a day job to you, right? Right. Yeah, that wasn't, like, weird to me. It was like a, some moms and dads go be computer programmers or whatever, and some play gigs on the weekends. That, I, that's fascinating to me that that was just uh, the norm. 
Yeah, and it, you know, it was. I think it was gave us the interesting dynamic that we have because I had a lot of friends. I remember in elementary school where, where they had like the day job working dad, and dad comes home at the end of the night, and you better clear out of the living room because it's time for him to watch some football and drink a beer, and he's just shut down for the day. And uh, but he was playing these gigs. I mean, at the time, the schedule was a lot later, so he's like getting in at like, you know, four or five in the morning. Uh, my mom had a day job, so she'd take me to school, go to her day job, and he'd pick me up from school. And then we'd have, like, all afternoon to, like, go goof off and play, which was, like, great when you're a little kid. And yeah. all my friends, like, they didn't get to hang out with their dads at all. Yeah. Right. And I've always said our relationship was a lot like Calvin and Hobbes because... It is. <laughs> you know, we were... He's Calvin, I'm Hobbes. We... <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> we just get to go, like, goof off and have adventures all day, and they'd go to work at, like, 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. It really yeah. did work out well. Even when he was first born, um, back in those glorious days, a musician could you know, work and make a living on our level of doing stuff because I was working five or six nights a week and my wife didn't have to work. And so, you know, uh, she would, you know, when he was just an infant little baby, you know, if I got home and he woke up fussing or whatever, I was up. And then, you know, I'd wake up about normal musician time, 10.30 or 11, and, uh, you know, get up and hang out and with the kid, and, and Karen wasn't working, so, you know, it was just, it worked out really well for us. We were very fortunate that way. Yeah. You know, got to spend a lot of time together. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But yeah, so it was probably about when I was, like, uh, 10 or 11 that I started to, like, discover music that of, like, my own you know, I remember it was everything I was listening to is the stuff he listened to, and and Dad's a notorious blues Nazi. <laughs> we don't use the term Nazi anymore. Right? An enthusiast, <laughs> a, a, blue, a blues national socialist. <laughs> but you know, so the, like I, I remember coming to the conscious acknowledgement that it was like, oh, music has been recorded since '71. Like I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I tried to block it as long as I could. <laughs> and so I started getting into music on my own. And, you know, I'd, I'd grown up listening to, you know, like a lot of BB King and stuff like that. And I think when you're starting out, it's like there's so much going on. It it seems hard to digest. When I started listening to music on my own, and I'm listening to like Blink-182 records. I'm like, I think I could do that. I could do that. Yeah. Got the guitar back out and looked up some tabs online. And I'm like, I can do that. This makes sense. This is easy enough. Yeah. So you so you had a phase that disappointed your dad, right? You did the <laughs> did you do the Backstreet Boys thing? No, it no, was, it was oh, it's usually guitar based rock and roll. It went it went straight straight from there straight into like a hard thrash metal phase for a while. That was disturbing. <laughs> my, my parents have always been encouraging. You know, it took them a while to come around, but it's like okay, there's there's some good musicianship going on there. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't as enjoyable for you as it was for me when I was blasting Pantera all day long. But. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. We have this memory that uh, we were going camping, you know, and, <laughs> and so at this, he was in this like Metallica, you know, kind of music that I wasn't really into phase. And I said, all right, look, you know. Very abrasive for your hippie boy sensibilities. Right. <laughs> we'll take turns. Listen, you pick a song, I'll pick a song, because we're driving into the mountains, and we're going to be in the car like two hours together. And so he picked, I don't know what, some songs. I don't yeah. know, Blink-182 or something. I put on 
when it came my turn, Mountain Jam by the Allman Brothers, which is like a half hour long, you know, so I could have a little piece. <laughs> 33 minutes and 43 seconds long. <laughs> and, you know, this song just keeps going and keeps going, and I'm glancing over there. He's like looking at me and like, what is this? I, I pulled that on a buddy of mine in high school. I used that again. We were, we were on like a church trip or something. We were riding in the van to camp or something like that. And like he was like the youth pastor's son, so he had like no records of his own. So he was like, "Oh, play me some cool stuff," you know. And yeah. he was like starting to get into metal. It's like the same thing. I play a couple metal tracks, and he's dozing off, and I put on Mountain Jam. And it's like in the middle of it, it's there's a ten minute long drum solo, and it's like eight minutes into the drum solo, he finally like snaps out of his naps. Is this drum solo ever in fucking end? <laughs> that was the first time he cursed, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> probably. <yeah. laughs> if anything would do it. Be... But I, I was like, I, I have a joke lined up for this. But anyway, and that'll segue into, you know, Andy's start performing music because we were we started hanging out around that time and about ten or eleven, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um and then, you know, we we've, we've been playing together since we pretty much started playing music together. Yeah, yeah, Andy, sure. you've been neglected in the corner over there, but I know, I'm hiding. Where do you yeah. fit into into uh, the musical <clears throat> chronology? Well, chronology. actually, I come from a musical family, also not not really a working musical family, but my dad went to CCU to be a worship leader, and uh, so I grew up a lot in like the Baptist churches. Both my parents sang and played piano, which my dad really wanted me to learn how to play piano, which I didn't do as vehemently against it when I was a kid because I didn't want to play classical music and stuff like that. But uh, uh, my mom was like a, a child of the 60s also, and so I that's all she listened to if it wasn't Christian music. All the secular stuff I ever heard when I was a kid was anything that was playing on Cool 105 in the early 90s, which back then it was like 40s, 50s, and 60s music. And so I grew up more similarly to people who grew up in the 60s in some respect because I wasn't allowed to listen to other music. So the pop music of the 90s and stuff, I didn't hear it until I was a teenager. Tupac and, you know, TLC and all that stuff. I never, I'd never heard it before until I uh, could actually... Started you know, hanging around our house. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and you, you can ask Andy's dad. I am like the bad influence on Andy. Yeah, life. for sure. Ryan's like yeah. the Eddie Haskell uh-huh. of the Weber household. Yeah. You know, if you watch Leave It wow. to Beaver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so you guys started reference. hanging out just as, as little kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, we, I went to, we started going to church together. My, he was already going to Village East Baptist and my family moved to that church. And so we met in the youth group and. And I had an Xbox. He had an Xbox, and, and I wasn't allowed to play video games really either. So it was See? like the perfect, <laughs> perfect combination for me. And then, you know, I was starting to get more into music, and I'd been singing in church for years and years, just you know, getting up with whatever you know older woman wanted to do a hymn from the book, you know, and do a, do little duets and stuff. So I mean, it's perfect really because now I'm still singing with older women I was saying, and you're still <laughs> yeah, doing that yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> it's true they love andy yeah but uh but now you're singing sometimes. now you're singing for the devil yeah now i'm singing <laughs> for the devil exactly but i got uh started working with um kyle and oh, they're praising jesus Ryan by the time andy's and, done yeah <laughs> started working with kyle and ryan and karen 
they started flipping houses and stuff when probably like 14 or something. And I yeah, was like, we put the boys to work. Yeah. And I was dead set on getting a drum set, which gold my dad to no end. He was like, well, you're not getting a drum set because that's not getting set up in, in my house. For context, their house was like <laughs> pretty small. Yeah. A bazillion kids. Yeah. I'm one out of six. It was a town home. Yeah. And it was grandma's townhome, so it was like grandma, mom, and dad, six yeah. kids. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So there wasn't yeah. really a space and, for it. And we were all homeschooled, so everybody was always there. There wasn't really a time where, like, you know, people were out of the house and I could, like, you know, bang away on a drum kit or something. But So when he was like, oh, I'm not going to do it, and so I was, like, really disappointed. I was like, well, I can't get a drum set. And I was like, you can keep it in my house. <laughs> and so... Nice. I went went and with <laughs> nice. the money that they paid me to flip a house. I went and bought a drum kit and started to started to learn, which never really got that great on it, but started singing again probably in my later years. But but it gave you a start though, and yeah. that's when we started. Like we'd be hanging out all day long, and yeah, noodling yeah. around, playing a wipeout, and which. But you wouldn't you wouldn't let him use your drum drum kit. Well, he wanted to have his own, yeah. and in those days. I mean, you were out six days a week. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't have my drums set up in the house at that in that phase of life. I was playing so much; it was they were in the truck. You know, that night I would be going to work. I didn't practice in the daytime much, and if at all. Yeah, because you didn't. You didn't have a second kit set up. In the no, house or anything. no, not back then. And you know, Andy had his heart set on having his own drums, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was cool back then. Um, we actually, had, it's funny how this band came together years after all this happened. But yeah, we had a we had a band that we took down to the rescue mission, and and Andy played drums, yeah, and Ryan played guitar. And Andy's older brother is yeah. a pretty good bass player. Actually, he lives out in Seattle now. But um, and and I played a little guitar. I still play a very little guitar. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, that was really our first band thing when these guys mm-hmm. were like how old were you guys then i don't know 15 15, 15 16 yeah. something like that and we have all the embarrassing tapes from like church right. no we don't oh no we don't <laughs> <laughs> those tapes don't exist kyle's yeah. already forwarded them to me we're putting <laughs> no they don't oh man so andy you have a you have a i would say very unstereotypical childhood yeah definitely um talk about that a little bit what was it like being in close quarters with grandma and parents and and one of being one of six kids it's a uh, man chaos <laughs> like always <laughs> chaos man especially being homeschooled and stuff like that it's like you know it's i really do feel like for the first like 10 to 12 13 years of my life that i was growing up like in the seventies, you know, because it was just like very, very sheltered. My parents are on the more extreme side of religious people in a lot of cases, you know, like the, I grew up in like a very Southern Baptist church initially. And so it was like men wear pants, women wear dresses. You don't listen to anything that doesn't have just a piano or an organ playing. And then that church my parents were kind of rebels a little bit because they were still listening to like a lot of the more you know adult contemporary like early 80s 70s christian rock stuff a little bit yeah like you have that one story where you're like dad was the 
pariah of the church he was going to because he like brought a tambourine. Yeah, not not so much pariah, <laughs> but he he signed up to do the uh, the choir basically, and so he thought it would be cool to bring in an acoustic guitar and then my mom made a tambourine out of some bells and then like a like a sewing hoop for doing like embroidery yeah and andy's mom is like the the typical like whatever you're thinking of like hippie you know quasi hippie homeschooled mom yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. andy's mom to a t yeah definitely homeopathic kind of stuff she's you know? cool wow yeah i love my mom but yeah you know so but he got kicked off very quickly after doing that when we we still stayed in the church but he was not doing choir anymore because that was like like i said that the organ and the piano that was the only instruments to be played in church at that time and he also tried to bring in a lot of more like african-american kind of chant kind of gospel music here and there which not really cool in the church that I grew up in uh-huh. either. So and it's so funny to me. Like, imagine how square the people would have to be where your dad's the rebel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. Because <laughs> they they're yeah, very yeah. again. My parents like Judy Collins and yeah, you sure. know Peter Paul and Mary and stuff. That was like always what was on the radio. And then my dad's like very classical music guy. So I grew up listening to like John Philip Sousa and Beethoven. Yeah. Lots of Bach and I mean you should you should tell the Beatles record story. Oh my. So my dad Yes, please. He was a <laughs> he was a later uh convert to Christianity. He kind of grew up with like this kind of typical American. We're like Presbyterian, but we don't really go to don't really go to church, you know. And so he in a, probably around like, I don't know, eighteen or nineteen joined non denominational Christian churches. And met my mom in college, and after they'd been together for a while, I mean, my mom grew up in church. My grandma still goes to the same church that my mom grew up in, so she was always very, very religious. But when my my dad came into the picture, he was sort of like on his, his high as a new believer and stuff, and so she took all of my mom's Beatles records, which she had, I'm pretty sure she had all of them, and uh and so he took and went through all of them and then on one side of a cassette tape took all the ones that he thought were okay for christians to listen to and so what yeah one for those yeah there was it, like Elter uh skelter you know <laughs> yeah not that one <laughs> no, like she loves you and uh there's a really good message in there you guys do it up close <laughs> yeah, i can barely remember but it's probably like 20 songs of like their most tame work you know nothing nothing that even hinted at sex you know there were some love songs on there eleanor rigby and some stuff like that but mostly some like i would say mid-era beatles stuff nothing too hippy dippy and then nothing too like you know of their what i would call their chuck berry era of music in the first couple albums okay but Puts them all onto a cassette, and then... One side of a cassette, and then he broke all of the records into pieces and threw them oh, in the trash. Oh, no. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I think joke's on him, because there are definitely some undertones in the Beatles lyrics, and I think, oh, yeah. I want to hold your hand, as, yeah. you know, modern day, I want to hit you from the back and make you holler till you pass out. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but... Well, a song like Eleanor Rigby, which is just about like you know death and industrialized <laughs> yeah. London, is like right. that's fine. That's yeah, fine. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So where where are you in order of the six? I'm uh, the second. 
Okay. Yeah. So you did it. You changed a lot of diapers. Yeah. Oh yeah, lots of diapers. Enough that I probably might skip out on the kids thing now. Just <laughs> yes. Just okay. Feel like I got my fill already. <laughs> well, you'll be you'll be cool, Uncle Andy. Then. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm hoping and for. What's the age discrepancy, oldest to youngest? So it's. Almost, almost it's, two years exactly between the first five. Yeah, and then I have a 16-year-old brother, um, and he kind of came out of nowhere. And he's I'm 15, 16 years older than he is, and he was seven, seven years from the uh, what we thought was going to be the youngest, my sister. And so uh, it's yeah, it's pretty wide. I'm 31, so there's a pretty big yeah age discrepancy at least between me and him but everybody else it's sort of like does everybody like, spoil him the little brother uh he's 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 the spoiled one but he's also at home by himself so he didn't really get the same sort of you know everybody's just jam-packed and yeah. you know fighting and yeah you know tussling he didn't really get as much of the uh you know if you want seconds then you have to beat up one of the other brothers to make sure that you get some <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> type right. Of thing. much less if i was over yeah yeah <laughs> which i was over frequently yeah true and, and do you guys all stay in touch? Most of us do, yeah. My older brother, he's kind of off doing his own thing, but uh, the rest of us, we stay pretty close. We do some take trips and stuff together, and like to hang out, you know, once a month or so. Wouldn't you know? Busy life these days, so trying to get five people all together doing different jobs and stuff can be a little bit of pain. But yeah, we st- we still keep in touch. We still hang out and stuff like that. Good relationship between most of them. So. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. It's interesting to me that Andy comes from this kind of unique type of family and all these kids, and they did grow up in very close quarters. And I know all his uh, brothers and his one sister. Yep. And um, they all came out remarkably well. I mean, for this kind of challenging circumstance. I mean, I think their their townhome they lived in was uh, 1,200 square feet above ground and then there was a basement so unfinished maybe, yeah yeah unfinished basement so like 1800 square feet and you know they were all the kids the parents and grandma was alive for a while living there as well so you know it was not like what you would consider the ideal thing not the worst either i mean but still i mean all his brothers and sisters i just love them to death man they're it's, yeah. it's a cool family and they're yeah. uh, his sister is like growing into her voice and yeah. last time i heard her sing i was really knocked yeah, out she's got a too. great voice and and definitely has some real musical ability mm-hmm. there and um it's an interesting interesting bunch of folks for sure yeah we all kind of sang growing up but there were only a couple of us that actually kind of stuck with it and kept going really yeah, yeah. But, and fun fact andrew rogers actually grew up right across the street from me right in the same complex who and plays I, in guitar in my band yes right. exactly and yeah. so he i used to go over to his house every saturday for bible studies that his mom taught yes for for years and uh yeah it's really funny now because back then he neither of us were really playing music and to make an earlier reference we were into that whole backstreet boys thing you know it's yeah. <laughs> just like i remember jamming out <laughs> the backstreet too, boys records <laughs> with him back in the day and then we kind of lost touch for a couple of years after he moved over to the Smoky Hill area and then got back in touch when both of us kind of started getting back into music and playing in bands and stuff like that. 
Oh, yeah. that's cool. Small world. I yeah. knew there was a connection with Andrew and you guys somehow. I wasn't quite sure where where it was. I was I was his first friend when he moved here from Florida. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I forget he moved from Florida too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Andrew will have to listen to this. Yeah, in, he will. In the car. So this is uh, we have all these intertwining <laughs> storylines yeah. here. I, I, it is an interesting tale. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh I think we could I want to go. I want to keep going in order and 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 gradually attach all these. But I think we should probably jump ahead a little bit um, to how the movers and shakers formed. I mean, what was the what bands were you guys all in at the time, and how did this how did this thing happen? Well, me and Ryan were playing in a punk band um, for a few years, which one of the members bailed and we were kind of looking for a drummer to kind of get the whole thing off the ground again, which we were kind of hard pressed to find a drummer at that time to play some punk rock stuff. Um, and so we were like, well, let's try to, you know, let's see if your dad can sit in and kind of do some of the songs and we can kind of maybe rebirth it. And it sort of kind of switched into something completely different, you know? Yeah. His rap at the time was like, well, I'll just fill in with it for you guys for a couple months because we've been looking for people. And it's like everyone we was finding, it was like people were good and not available or available and not good. As I think they set be. me up, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, <clears throat> this is the way I remember it. All right. I was innocently in my home, minding <laughs> my own business. And in my mind at that time, this is five years ago, right about this time, actually. And... uh. You know, stuff had changed in my life, and I'd gotten kind of burned. I'd been doing a lot of freelancing. I'd done a, done a two and a half years with the Delta Sonics, and um, I was just kind of fried with the whole thing, you know? And I was just thinking, you know what? I'm just going to step back from this music deal a bit and uh, maybe, you know, play some better-paying weddings or whatever, but... I'm not doing this $75 a night deal anymore, you know. It's just not worth my time. And I mean, I'm 62 now. I was, what, 57 then. And um, so they uh, Ryan and Andy and our old bass player, Dane Vernon, stopped by one day. And, uh, you know, we're raiding my refrigerator. And... <laughs> I think I, I just moved back from Breckenridge, so yeah. I was... Yeah, and their was band had been broken up for about six months since their drummer kind of flaked out on them, and Ryan got, had gone to the mountains to work the winter, and, and uh, you know, I didn't think anything... They were all friends and stopped over. You know, they probably wanted to pick up something they'd left in the basement from when they'd all moved. Or, I can't remember, but... Anyway, uh, we I had drums set up down in the basement then, and we just wound up jamming a little in the basement. I hadn't really heard them play much in maybe five or six years. I mean, they'd been moved out of the house. They'd been doing this punk rock thing. We did go down and see them play at the Gothic, and I was, Karen and I, we were like surprised. Like, wow, they, they really, really come along, you know? It's a lot. That, that was funny. That was like literally our first show. We'd, we'd sort of had had another band that we'd sort of been playing with that wasn't going anywhere. These. Andy and Dane had run into this guy at Scruffy Murphy's who was playing in a band there. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm putting together this big battle of bands thing at the Gothic. You know, you guys want to sign up? Do you have a band? And we were and just like, yes. Yes. And then, <laughs> like, lied and made up this band. That's awesome. And then we're like, okay, now we have to, like, and in a month we, like, wrote a whole set worth of material for it. 
and just where our slot fell was like this all day thing between Moe's and the Gothic. And our slot just ended up falling at like 11 o'clock at the Gothic stage. Like we got like the primo slot. It was cool. And (laughs) Karen and I went, you know, and, and, uh, I mean, we were looking at each other because I hadn't heard him play in a long time. And believe me, in the teenage years, the noises that were coming out of my basement, <laughs> I mean, when they were rehearsing back in those days, it was, you know, I mean, they were it was finding rough. their feet and stuff. And it was cool, but noisy. And I saw them at the Gothic and they had this whole show thing going on, you know. I literally remember both these guys telling me, you'll never get me on stage. No freaking way. You know? <laughs> um, and here, you know, Ryan's doing knee drops and, and, uh, Andy dyed his hair pink. For yeah, the yeah. Yeah. Right. And oh, they're we just need some pictures of that. They, they <laughs> were going nuts. Some, and I was like, this is awesome. You know, they're getting after it up there. And anyway, that was months before this visit to my house. So we're jamming in the basement and I'm thinking, man, this Andy, man, he's singing his ass off. I mean, this is, this guy can really sing, you know, and and Ryan's guitar playing had improved exponentially since the last time I'd really listened to him. So I was like, well, if you dudes want to learn some kind of music that I'm kind of known for around here, I can book us a couple of gigs, you know, maybe uh, do the Little Bear thing or uh, maybe the Rusty Bucket or something. I don't know, you know, you want to you wanna go do that? And they're like, yeah, sure, you know. And... Uh, so, of course, I didn't want to play any Blink-182 or anything remotely <laughs> like that. Um, personally, I mean, I don't, it's all right, but that's just not my thing, you know. So, you know, I remember sending Andy some YouTubes of, like, Sam and Dave and Otis Redding and stuff. And I don't think he'd listened to a whole lot of that before, maybe a little bit. Good, good amount of the Sam and Dave. Otis yeah. was one of the ones that I had, he didn't get much radio play back when I was listening to, like, Cool right. 105 and stuff. So I knew, like, sitting on the dock of the bay and maybe a couple of the others. But, you know, it, after he sent those, like, YouTubes to me, I was just like, wow, this guy's like, because you listen to his records, and it's very kind of, like, reserved, kind of soft, kind of, you know, stuff. Great singer, lots of soul. But you watch his live performance, and that it's guy's a like, full on rock and roll. Oh show. my gosh. He's yeah. just yeah. sweating and out of breath with every single time he was talking on the microphone. So. Uh, yeah, that blew me away, and I was like, "Oh, this! I'm down to do this. Let's do something." I'm more. I'm trying to shape things, right? I'm thinking, like, if this guy can really sing, maybe we could do a little soul music, you know, and something like that. Like, and actually, though, that was just part of it because, you know, I just thought we could get out and play. So also, they had some from their old repertoire. I mean, we were playing born to be wild you know we were playing whatever anybody knew just because in, the, in our old band we had been playing some of like the bar band right stuff you know it's like we were doing a lot more like venue shows and stuff but we still had some bar gigs because this is the world i come from and it's just like well let's just go book some bar gigs let's go make some extra money on the weekends fuck it and i was right? thinking the soul thing but i was also thinking i really don't give a crap anymore man i just you know i I'd done the whole hardcore blues thing. I'd done, you know, all kinds of different genres. And and uh, we were just jamming in my basement, so we figured we'd just play whatever the hell we wanted to play this go-around. And they were open for whatever. And, uh, and and we'd been doing, in that band, we'd been doing some of the Sam and Dave stuff because I think yeah, we were doing right. Soul Man and Hold On, I'm Coming. That's right, yeah. yeah that's the band was very, like, kind of a mash of, like, punk and blues like very like old school punk rock you know and that's kind of how we started out as the movers and shakers and we were a four four piece you know and then about 
what two months after we we already played gigs out as a four four piece you know and it was pretty well received um and uh so i was talking to my friend eddie who became our sax player who's also an attorney up in fort collin and he's like well man i was telling on top of the other attorney stuff i wanted to talk to him about he said well that sounds pretty cool you know i know this trumpet player uh and Eddie lives up in Fort Collins. He says, I know this trumpet player up here. We'll bring him, I'll bring him down and we'll put horns on what you're doing. And I was like, well, if you want to, man, I mean, we're just screwing around here. This is, he says, no, that sounds like fun. So those guys started showing up to every rehearsal and every gig. <laughs> they just kind of attached themselves to our project. Yeah. And, uh, I remember the, the first song we played with them was unchain my heart. And, uh, and they had already had a little chart for that in another band that they'd worked in, I think, because they, they right away knew some stuff to put in there to like have horn section parts. Mm-hmm. And we finished the song and looked around at each other and went, wow. The Joe Cocker arrangement. This yeah. is this is powerful, you know. And uh, we were all grinning ear to ear like this, this could really work. And that's really how the band kind of took off from there um, with the horns. Mm-hmm. Which was totally unplanned. Yeah, I mean, it was this. The project wasn't really intended to be. This is a serious, long-lasting thing. It was really not at all. It was intended to be like, let's go make some money. Yeah, let's while go we're play trying some to figure out and... what we're going to do with this other punk rock project, which we ended up just kind of shoving into the back of the closet and mm-hmm. kind of forgetting about in some respects. Yeah, I mean, we recycled a handful of those songs that we've managed to like rework into it, but yeah, we do play some songs on our first. Uh, CD from Secretly Supervised, yeah. Ravings of a Madman. What else? Uh, um, let's see. Then uh, Shattered Roads, Silhouettes. Yeah. Silhouettes, yeah. yeah. I mean, we kept some of their material, which is good material, and uh, I'd still like to do some more of it. Actually, um, those I guys never get you to play a crashy open hi hat. <laughs> my my father is flipping me off for the listeners yeah. at home. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, That's Dad, the band dynamic too. right there. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, before we started, you were asking if 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 we ever get in any fights. If anyone gets in fights, it's the two of us. Well, well. <laughs> he's wrong a lot. So. <laughs> Except for when I'm right, which is all the time. <laughs> so, I've... who wanted to play all original music for the CBS set? See, here we go. Who who wanted to play all original music for the CBS set? That would be me, and no one would listen to me for years. But and then, then go ahead and do it. And well, see where that gets us. If all you want to talk about the IBC, it is kind of funny because <laughs> have you participated in the IBC, Andy? No. Okay. Well, it's kind of a mind fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should say not in Memphis. Oh, oh, okay. But I've done it locally. It's hard. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. a mind fuck because the scale, the grading, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. you're trying yeah. to think of okay, what do these people want? You know, and the first time we did it was with the Mile High Blue Society, and, and I thought our set was like perfect, man. I mean, Dad had put together this selection of songs. I'd like some really hip transitions about like, like we had some transitions where it's like these two songs both start and end with like this kind of chromatic walk down. And if you like put them together, they line up perfectly and stuff like that. It went snatch it back and hold it. Good morning, little schoolgirl. you know, both off the hoodoo man album, you know, I thought, well, all right, that'll give Mm -hmm. them their, 
desired rootsy blues thing, you know. But I had just gotten done reading Buddy Guy's autobiography, and uh, he talked about how Junior Wells really wanted to be James Brown, you know, and that he was really into James Brown, and Snatch It Back was kind of a his, like, take on being funky and James Brown-like, right? So we segued then into uh, a James Brown's song, um, um, I go crazy. I go crazy. crazy. With the same like chromatic walk down like he's talking about. Into I go crazy. And then we segued into what I say was like this big showstopper for us. And the guys go out in the crowd. And I thought, man, if they don't bite on this, you know, this is this is freaking cool, you know. And we ended with an original song of ours. It was like a a very powerful ballad that Andy wrote. Don't know what to do. Don't know what to do. And and so um it was strong, you know, but we didn't make it. You we know. didn't we even make it to the second round at Mile High. Right. So anyway, Ryan has been harping on, we should just do all our original sit. To hell with what these people think. We'll just do whatever we want to do. Because in my heart, I'm still a punk rock guy, and I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. <laughs> there you go. That approach, we decided to use this last go-around, and it took us to the semifinals in Memphis. <laughs> By doing all original. As always, I'm so that, right. That was so that was the one time he was right. No, one time. Even a broken clock is right twice no. a day. <laughs> I'm always right. Always right. So, what is what is the father son dynamic like? I mean, do you guys? You're looking at it. Do you guys? I mean, you guys are joking around right now, but do but do you ever uh, really get into it in front of the band? Yes. <laughs> in rehearsal yeah. yeah definitely there's a there's there definitely been a few storm offs you know throw down the drumsticks put down the guitar walk away kind of moments for sure yeah every once in a while so, well, i mean if anyone's fighting between between any of us it's me and him because the other guys were there's like a little bit more filter and between us it's like what no are you gonna filter, do? Kick yeah. me out of the family? Fuck you! Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, now, now, but Andy, are you completely are you completely off the hook here? I mean, you were young enough when you started going over to the Borthics that he could have given you some spankings too. Um, <laughs> or did you? Do you guys ever go at it? Not really. I'm more Andy reserved. is respectful and well behaved. Yeah, I'm, I'm, more, <laughs> I'm more reserved type of person in general. I mean, he they were growing up and. You know, Ryan grew up in the bar scene and stuff like that, and I grew up in a church. You know, <laughs> so it was yeah, I grew like up hanging out at bars, calling my yeah, parents by their first names. Right, since I was like four years old. Right, which was blew me away when I met him because it wasn't mom and dad. It was like a Kyle, Karen, which to me that would we would have got a slap across the face if I called my parents by the first name. You yeah. know, type of thing. So Ryan, it was odd. He started doing that when he was just like three years old, and I mean. We just didn't think anything about it, you know. He was kind of a unique little kid. He had these imaginary friends, and you know, I mean, <laughs> like all kids do. Yeah, but he just started calling us. I mean, when he was three, so Not I just grew up in the church. Yeah. No imaginary friends. Uh, I had plenty. But our thing growing up in church, having an imaginary friend. <laughs> you know this <laughs> this project um, in the last five years. I mean, I I got Ryan that duo Sonic when he was a kid, but uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't thinking, I'm going to groom this boy to be my guitar player, you know? I just thought, I just think guitars are cool, and it's an excellent thing to be learning how to do, and it's portable, and, you know, you can have fun with music. Guitars are fucking cool. Yeah, and that's that's really all I was thinking. I wasn't planning on being in a band with my kid down the road at all. I mean, this didn't happen until he was 25, and... um, 
and uh, it was completely unplanned. I mean, it just that one day they came by and and we ended up jamming a little bit and it sounded pretty good. So it's like, oh, okay. we are cutting a little bit of the history of us playing together out though. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's late, true. Late in high school, Dad was playing all these four hired gigs and he was playing a lot with David Booker. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who was mm-hmm. playing bass with him at the time, but he was like unreliable. And David had some complaints, and so Dad pitched to him. He's just like, well, just hire us as, like, your package rhythm section. Where, you know, we're show up in the same car. Yeah. We're not going to drink. We'll be working all the songs. And so I spent a couple years playing bass behind Booker, Booker on uh, quite a number of his gigs. Yeah, we did Christmas and Steamboat together. A couple years in a row. L- little known fact, Ryan is an excellent bass player. He's really? actually my favorite bass player in all of Denver. Um uh, well, wow. I mean, our current guy Nick is an excellent bass player too. But uh, there, there's, so there's like the father son little communi- bias rhythm yeah. section communication going on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, it's sure. like you can just read each other so well. We, we do have as much as we argue. You know, it's kind of like that's more colorful and stuff. And you know, when you have an argument, it stays with you. But there's a whole lot of stuff that Ryan and I just instinctively know where we. What, where our tastes lie and what, what where it's going to you know and we also did the duo thing together we kind of cut that out but that was a weird <laughs> i mean i've always played some guitar you know just it's been by my musical hobby you know and i'm not very good at it i know all my open chords ryan taught me how to play Most bar chords it's funny when he was he was tra- starting to learn to play and i was showing them all the open chords and stuff and i remember showing him minor chords and him saying wow dad you're really good you know and, and i was playing just a simple minor chord blues <laughs> progression and yeah he really loves minor blues ever since the first time he heard that he was like oh that's, yep. that's cool i do like a minor chord and uh so anyway it's funny booker plays into this story in a couple of different ways uh he had called me booker did because he'd had this uh, patio solo gig he couldn't play do you, do you know anybody that could do this and i'd been noodling around with ryan since he was little and i i have a talent for remembering songs so uh i can play on guitar and know a lot of songs you know so and i've been seen on the tonight show guys doing gcd you know on the freaking tonight show i'm like i can freaking do that yeah that's doable <laughs> So anyway, we went and played that patio gig, him and I. First time we ever played a gig together. And that was long before Movers and Shakers. And and we wound up playing quite a few gigs. Yeah, we were working quite a bit for we a We did while. two years doing a jam night, acoustic jam out at the uh, Sedalia Grill in Sedalia. We've done two records. Yeah, we, play, we, we did make two records together, just as Kyle and Ryan. And so there's that part of it that as much as we – bitch at each other creatively it's just we're just into music you know and sometimes we don't see eye to eye on what's right or but there is like a baseline fundamental respect for where we're coming from yeah which i I think is like what makes that work is like and that's a big part of our band is that even when we disagree on stuff there's still respect where the other person's coming from yeah and there's around the block faith that's just like okay like, I mean, me and Andy disagree about stuff on arrangements all the time. Oh, yeah. But, you know, when we're hashing it out, it doesn't turn into this, like, it's like, I don't like the guitar part you're playing. And it's not like, I'm never taking that as, like, I don't like you as a person. And I think sometimes in bands, egos can get conflated that way. Where I, it's like, it's a personal attack. And it's just, we all understand that we're all working towards the same goal, you know? Yeah. it's It's been actually a, you know, it sounds kind of 
uh, cliche or whatever, but this last five years has been, I personally has helped me grow a lot as a person. I actually, Ryan and I work better together now than we used to. When we first got started with this band, holy shit, man, I was like not having it, you know. Uh, I wasn't going to put my name out there to get gigs with this kind of bullshit going on, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, you guys, you know, and I'd be winging drumsticks at people, and I was a little bit, eh, it wasn't really the best way to handle things. Yeah. So you guys both, you learned something from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did, and we still My are. stick throwing technique has gotten great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you guys, you guys have certainly had some success around Denver. You're playing mm-hmm. some, um, you know, along with doing those bar shows you guys were doing, you're doing some big theater shows too, and you're yeah. getting some great gigs. Uh, certainly getting a lot of recognition in the Blue Society. It's a mile high in the Colorado Blue Society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then even on a regional and national level too, um, you guys have gone down to Memphis the last couple years yep. for the yeah. IBC. Yeah. Um, and that, that is, a you know, for those who probably most listeners know what the IBC is, they're listening to this episode, but yeah, it's a, it's a blues competition where you, you have to win as a solo duo actor, as a band right. in your home blues society. And so you can imagine a uh, Colorado, I thought, you know, it's four or five of them or whatever, but in yeah. Denver there's two and there's a whole lot of bands and solo duo acts that would, that compete, um, to, earn the right to go to memphis and, mm-hmm. and compete in the international blues competition and you guys have done it you guys have gone to the international stage twice in memphis yeah and, and got to the semifinals a, a month and a half ago yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was great you know i mean it was a lot more fun this time around because we we knew people you know we had friends that we'd made last year who were coming back down and you know, it was it was fun to get to go like meet up and hang out with everybody, and I think you get an advantage a little bit coming down a second time because a lot of people who are just attendees they attend year after year, so I think that kind of helps you build up ahead of steam. With it was audience. kind of also fortunate that we, you know, they put you in a room which is a bar actually on Beale Street, and that's your room, you know, that you compete in and we got the same room two years in a row the rum boogie down there mm, cool spot and it is a cool spot and you know since we did it last year we kind of knew the lay of the land we knew the gal that runs sound is the same sound person What's yeah robin. robin she's been running sound yeah. down there for like 26 years and she loved us last yeah. year yeah. she's a sweetheart so she knew what to do you know she knew what was coming at her with what we do and everything and and uh so that it was just felt comfy, you know, as, yeah. as opposed to the first time you're down there. It's like, ah, Beale Street. Oh, my God, you know. Yeah. And and the whole IBC competition thing is a little unnerving. You know, you have to get there and be set up in 10 minutes and, you know, bam, 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 play your set and then get all your crap off the stage. And it's, it's it'll make you nervous, you know. Especially when you got a six-piece band. Yeah. And, you know, it's like. It's not like we're rolling in there with like a guitar and a bass and some drumsticks. Yeah. Like got and this time it was like, all right, we're at the warm boogie again. All right, there's Robin, you know, cool. You know, it's, uh, it just felt like kind of playing a gig that you'd played before. Yeah. yeah. It was like a vacation with a couple of like 20 yeah. minute sets throughout the week, you know? And also we did this time around since we've all kind of come to the consensus that this whole judging thing, it's, it is, subjective yes they do grade by criteria but trying to figure out what these people want is 
impossible. impossible. And yeah. you get all kinds of advice from people that have been there before. We've gotten advice from people that have been judges and what they look for. But then when you watch who wins and stuff, you're going, I don't really think there's a whole lot of rhyme or reason to this, so we might as well just do whatever the hell we want and yeah. have fun. Because even the categories are like inherently subjective. Yeah. You know, they don't have a definition for like what's blues content. I mean, our, we're, we were talking about the first set we put together. That has a lot of what I would consider blues content, but I think most of that stuff went over people's heads because you have to like, you have to like shoot the gap for like who's going to be a judge, and there's mm-hmm. there's no test to be a judge. There's you know they don't yeah. have any particular qualifications. So some of these people, you know, we've I've run into a lot of these people where like their first and their formative experience with blues music was later in life listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan, and they're like, oh well, that's like classic archetypical blues music and in our household we were listening to records out of the 30s and 40s Mm -hmm. you know and that's those are like 1980s blues and 1930s blues are a world apart from each other and you have no idea where that person's coming from consequently our approach this time was way more laid back um just did what we wanted (laughs) to do um we did one temper red tune uh um, it hurts me too yeah um, but other than that, it was all original and we didn't really like, and we, two of the tunes we did, I mean, it's, it's funny that this would happen to me cause I really am a, have been a hardcore blues, not, I mean, enthusiast, National um, socialist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in my life. And there would have been a point in my life when I would have heard our band and gone, those people have no business completing in any blues challenge. That's bogus. You know, I would have thought that about my own band. Um, yeah. Uh, well, and I, 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 I heard things around town too, where some people are like, "Man, have you seen the Movers and Shakers? They rock!" And then other people are like, "Can you believe they sent them to Memphis? They're just a party band." Oh yeah, yeah. You that's know, all right. Man. You're goddamn right. Yeah, we're yeah. yeah band, well, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's what I thought. Is damn right? It's a party. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard those comments too from other people, and, and I get it. I. I also get that probably many of those people haven't really listened to a lot of our original music, which is a lot of blues-based stuff. I mean, one thing I really like about our band that we used to do in JD and the Love Bandits is we would slide in our original music in, in the course of a set in a you know a place like the Rusty Bucket or Little Bear and Evergreen all night long, and and it got to the point in JD's band where a higher percentage of the tunes we would play in the course of a night would be originals and nobody ever freaking knew or complained about it because it rocked it was fun music it was dance music and nobody knew and we do that in this band all the time and so people come and see us and say it's party music yeah it's party music but a lot of what you're hearing is our original music you know, and I have a problem with you know. Wait, sometimes bands will present their original material like, okay, you know, and and this is the way they're couching it, which I think is just like it's like a sales technique that I think is bad. And they go, <laughs> okay, I've played okay. songs that you know and you like. I'm going to play an original song now. I'm sorry, just bear through the next. And four then we minutes. and and then we go to the bar and order our next drink. I right. I right. apologize yeah. that you're gonna have to listen to the song, but I'm gonna play it. Really sorry, but you know it's okay. So hopefully maybe you like it. I guess fuck that man. Like yeah. put your shit out there. Like put it in people's face. That was right? kind of one of the things Ryan and I argued about at one point. Is that. I kind of wanted to announce that this is original because I was proud of it. 
And his stance was, no, just play it. Just play it. Because I, I would see people, they're used to that. And they're like, hey, we're going to play an original song. And I would watch people in the audience just tur- turn on their click. heel and just go, okay, time to get a beer. Yeah. The other thing about being a party band is I certainly won't apologize for that because <laughs> all your favorite blues artists are party bands. Yeah. yeah you, go, them- you go to see B.B. King in his heyday, party band. <laughs> yeah, of course. Let, you know? let me slide my soapbox into the middle of the room on this. I mean, there's there's no, nothing. You listen to Mi- Mississippi Hill Country music that party band party to that boogie oh, woogie. Yeah. yeah, party. That's oh, yeah. party. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, all of these acts, and you know, then so here's one of my soapboxes is that like, you know, I think people um, treat this music like it is, uh, it's like a historical artifact that you need to like put under a glass dome under a light somewhere. Yeah. Museum piece. And for me that like very fundamentally violates the spirit of this music in like a very serious way. To oh, a way blues of, music. Yeah. Of, of the way that I'm, I'm a little bit offended by it when people do that. You know, it's like it's cool to like do it and study it, but if you're engaging in this music, this music was razor cutting edge when it came out, and and that was the attitude. And it's the style of music that it's so simple. It also makes it the most sensitive to your, you know, who you are is in your core. You know, in more ornate music, you can kind of hide behind the kind of technical ornamentation of it when you strip everything down to that this is really a clear presentation of who you are and you you can't hide behind any of that shit and if you're just going out there and just like okay i'm gonna press play and execute blues i don't think you understand what the fuck this music's about amen brother (laughs) there's something they agree on (laughs) We, we agree on a lot but it's like you know so when we're getting out to do this stuff what we want to do i don't want to like you know, and there's also this other element. This is another one. Of my I'll kick my other soapbox out there. When you're in the studio, <laughs> got a lot of them. I got a lot of them. <laughs> he does. When, Trust me. When you're in the studio, you're sort of like executing. Can get music. you a booster seat. <laughs> <laughs> but when you go put it on a stage, now you're doing theater. And if you watch all of these guys, they understood that. Yeah. You know, um, there was like the show element to it. The way they dress, the way they present themselves, the kind of guitar you play, like the whole thing is is theatrical. And if you don't do that element of it, you're not really like entertaining people. And like, you're asking like, what, what's the formal function that you're there to do? Like when you're in the bar, what's your job? Is your job to play good songs? Sort of your job there though, really is to entertain people. Yeah. And take them out of their, whatever it is they're in a bar for in the first, take them out of them leaving home to come to a bar. You know, they're not there to, to study, musical genres there although there is a place for that and believe me i've i dig it you know i mean i love listening to like studying fred below's drumming style it's it's a beautiful thing um but and he's an old great chicago blues drummer for those who don't know but um i don't want to be fred below i can't be fred below you know you know there has been times in my life i wish that i could have been him but you know, uh, I think it's good to study those styles and to have that in your toolbox as a, as a player to learn techniques and all that stuff. But to try to be, you know, B.B. King or Albert or whatever, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's just not a, you're not contributing to the genre by doing that. All you're doing is just 
You're just, parroting. Yeah, right? you're kind of, you know, it's like being a tribute band, which you'd want to talk about soapboxes, man. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to go down that road. Please, please don't. <laughs> yes. No, right. Yeah, I'll stand on it with you. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you're, you're out there to put on a show, and, uh, and what was that quote from uh, Great Grandpa Gola? Right. About that, where it's like, the, these people could have done anything with their Friday night. They, they could have gone to dinner. They could have gone to a movie. They're there to see you play music. And they could have done anything else. You know, and you owe them a smile. Yeah. And, My and, granddad was big on you smile when you're on stage. <laughs> and he, I got a picture of him playing in a nursing home when he was an old man and he had a beetle wig on. And... Uh, <laughs> He thought that was freaking hilarious, you know, and yeah, and uh, and he's got this big old smile on his face, you know, playing this ancient snare drum, and he's he would, the minute he set foot on any stage, his face was like bing, and it was like something he practiced, you know, he's trained, uh, and that's the theatrical element, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how laid back your show is or how small it is, like you're still doing this theatrical element of it, yeah. When I think that goes back to the. We can take this all back to the blues content category yes. of the of the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, Ryan, you said it's it's a it's supposed to be cutting edge. Yeah, and and if they're just looking for you to parrot what was cutting edge, then then what are you? Right. Yeah, it's hard. I got to say this though about the IBC, and believe me, I have thought about it a lot, and we all have, and we've talked about it a lot. We drove down. Oh, Ryan and Andy and I did this time, and the whole band drove down the last year together, and uh, so we got to talk a lot, you know, and thinking about the IBC and our feelings about it, and ultimately, my consensus is, and people might be surprised to hear this, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Nowhere else in the world will you see what happens in Memphis during IBC week happen and the good thing about it has nothing to do with the competition or winning it and you hear a lot of people say that and it sounds like bullshit but it's true man i mean you go down there and you meet all these other talented people you get to meet some really cool people here's some different approaches to music um the orpheum theater no matter who winds up playing there on the last day is an amazing place to see music and and you're happy for these people that have made it there you know and you're cheering them on and and um there's just a i mean memphis is a special special place in my mind i mean a lot of our music references i I get a little emotional about just thinking about the city of memphis you know um and when you go tour the Civil Rights Museum or Stax Museum and you learn about the history of that town and all the shit they've been through down there, man, and it's rough. You know, I mean, going back to Civil War days, they, that city has been through it. And then the whole Civil Rights thing and Martin Luther King and the town, they, you know, they call it Soulsville. It's not bullshit, man. That place has got a heart and soul that's, like, huge, you know. And um, yeah. that is... If you go to Memphis to participate in IBC for nothing else but seeing Stacks and seeing Sun Studio and seeing the Civil Rights Museum, it's worth it. Well, I, I think that's yeah. the thing you should go for because we, we've known a lot of people that participated in it, and it's like, and they pin a lot of their hopes on performing there. And 
and winning. And it's yeah. like you just you just go down there and have some fun and spend as much time as you can going and making new friends from different cities. I mean, definitely. You know, we we've made friends the last couple of times. Been down there with this guy Jamal Richardson, and the guy's fucking badass guitar he is player. Badass, He's really good. Um, made good friends with one of the girls from one of the youth bands, Miranda Kitchpanich. She's like this fantastic singer and bass player. Ooh, she is good too. You know, and it's like go down there and do that. And that was that was. The good thing, having gone and done it last year, and our approach this year was just like we're just going to go down there, and we're going to go party with our friends, yeah, and and we're going to go do all the fun stuff, and like whatever happens with the competition is just like whatever it happens because yeah. it's all out of your control. You can like finely tune the set as much as you want, yeah, and if one person sitting at that <clears throat> judges table doesn't get it. And we got our results back, and we had some of that. In our exactly team. happened. And we were looking out at the room, <laughs> these rooms, you know, these like when we played at the tin roof for the semifinals, it was a packed room and we, and like we generated some buzz and it's like a couple hundred people all jammed in there. And we talked to some of the people who'd been around the IBC since it started. And they, these guys are telling us like, you guys are going to win this shit. And, and the room is like, was really warm and receptive to our set. And then like one guy sitting at the, there at the table is like, Table a little contrived to me. Two. Yeah. Yeah, we got yeah. two from the same judges' table for the same things, they, the criteria. We got twos from one guy and nines from another. And that just tells you right there what you're up against. Yeah. There's no fair way to actually do a judged competition just, just, in the long right. run. You know what I mean? But it's cool that they do it, right? It's really cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I love but, but it's doing like, it. But yeah. To pin your hopes on that, I mean, it's like in this room full of hundreds of people... I don't want to be staking my enjoyment on the whole thing on whether this one guy has fun. You or know, gets we, it. We just did what we always did, which was we like played to that room and the room fucking loved it. Yeah. And and if 0.03% of the room didn't love it, it was like, well, whatever. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. So that all said, are, do you guys think you'll try it again? No. We're definitely not this <laughs> next year. You know, it's it's so time-consuming to do all the fundraising and stuff like that and to get all that stuff together. I mean, you know, as you know, the Blue Societies don't have a lot of money to send you off with. you got a band you're dragging with, mm -hmm. you know. And we don't we don't like to, like, half-measure anything, you know. We've, we know a lot of the other bands that they've just sort of not done a lot of fundraising, and all the band members have kind of had to bring money to the table. Every time we've done it this year, we've been able to wrap it up and at least cut ourselves at least a small check. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we put Love a lot it. of effort into it, and we try to make, you know, this is like an extension of our greater band philosophies. We try to make everything larger than life. So if we're going to Memphis to do the IBC, we're not going to do, hey, guys, we're going to go do the IBC down in Memphis. It's like we're trying to go, you know, and in six months, Memphis <laughs> <laughs> and Shakers are going to be hitting the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. Step right up. Yeah. And so it's like we want to make it an event, and and that makes it very time consuming for us. And we just got other stuff we want to be working on this next year. Yeah, yeah. albums. And yeah, like we want to. We have a new CD to make. Yeah. So you guys are gonna. What what is the next? What is the next step for for you guys? Are you, you gonna make a, an originals album? I think we should yeah. let Andy talk for a minute. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think so too. He's so he's so you know he's so huge on stage and he's just so well, quiet and mindful often. Actually yeah. on both of our records there's actually is only one cover. Yeah. All the other stuff we have out is original. Yeah. But. And so we'll be writing a lot. I mean, and I do a good majority of the writing, especially from a lyric standpoint, I do the majority of that and then um not so much on the last record, but I write a lot of the music also, which you don't really see me playing many instruments on stage because I'm not very good at it. So I just 
play some mandolin at home and put together some chords and then we kind of bring it together and all do all the rearranging but we're hoping to do more of that this year we're even slowing down a little bit on the amount of gigs that we're doing just so that we can spend more time in the studio putting together demos and hopefully put together a large arrangement of songs and then kind of pick and choose what our favorite ones are and like our, our last couple records have been a little bit weird because the very first one was just sort of like the originals we had available and because we needed to kind of get something out that wasn't just like just a demo so it's kind of an ep of just the original songs we had and then we went to memphis last year and we made you know we we'd come into like some extra money. One of our fans kicked us a large chunk of cash because we'd been talking about maybe recording while we were down there. It's like, well, how much is it to record at sun? I'll just bankroll it. Cool, man. So we wanted to kind of like do something that was like fitting that theme, you know, yeah, for sun of. studio in Memphis where so, we recorded last year in January, right? 2019. And so for both of those recordings, like one was just the songs we had. The sun thing was like, what songs do we have that would fit within this context and maybe not fit in the context of a record of other stuff. We want to do something that's like a more focused piece of art. Yeah. Yeah. This time around, we really want to bring something that is like, well, we'll we'll let Andy talk a little bit more, Kyle. Yeah. All right. After I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) More polished. I mean, the sun thing, we wanted it to be raw because sun studio is a tiny little room and we recorded live all in that room and, and we purposefully wanted it to be a little raw, you know. And this time around, I think we're all kind of in agreement on let's really take our time and make, like, the CD or recording yeah. that we've all always really wanted to make something really special, you know. Yeah. And it might take us a little time. It might not get done until next year. I don't know. Yeah. We've got some hurdles, you know. We just lost our trumpet player, so that's yeah. – that's hard. Uh, that all happened, and we're all still processing all that. So, um, but we have some bright spots in this whole picture too, and we're not forgetting about that either. Well, so could could we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, sure. There's a, a a huge tragedy in in the band, and a, yeah. a really likable guy, and it was it was uh, very sudden. A kind of a huge hit, yeah. hit on the music scene. What yeah. what happened from from your guys? perspective it was a month ago tomorrow yeah yeah well actually when we found out it was on a tuesday yeah um so we gotten back from memphis the uh the last i saw scott sessions our, our trumpet player was like we dropped him off at the airport yeah. in memphis yeah. mm-hmm. we all gave each other hugs and said goodbye and we kind of purposefully that was on a monday i can't remember the date exactly it was like february third or something and uh and um the following week we didn't have any work you know and because it's such a huge push getting to memphis doing the whole ibc thing we kind of wanted to just have a week to regroup get back home uh andy and ryan and i were driving back uh interestingly enough his where we stay in the halfway point is in muskogee oklahoma where his aunt and uncle live and his uncle had passed away so we stopped on the way back to to attend his funeral, yeah, Andy's uncle's funeral, and he'd been sick for a long right. time, so that wasn't unexpected, but still, still a funeral. Yeah. And uh, his whole family showed up there and everything, and anyway, so we'd been back a week, and Scotty had had these dates with this Elvis, George Gray, uh, he's an Elvis impersonator up in, they had a gig at this Johnstown uh, dinner theater, and uh, I got a message early Tuesday morning 
that week later after we'd been gotten back. Have you any of you guys seen Scotty? He didn't show up for this gig last night. And it's totally unlike him. And, uh, you know, I, I first thing I woke up that Tuesday morning and get this message. Oh, yeah, he probably wound up with some girl or something. Scotty, you know, he's Mr. Social Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure he's fine, you know. Well, that day was a long freaking day, man. Um, yeah. Because, you know, then we put it out on Facebook, you know, Scott, where are you, man? Anybody seen? Check in, please, you know. People are starting to worry. And then uh, one of his and our mutual friends said in the afternoon, she had checked all the hospitals, all the jails, you know, in case maybe a DUI or something. Not there. And then this news came out in Larimer County that a body had been found. And was this you, all on Tuesday? Yeah, all yeah. on that Tuesday. And, you know, somebody said on think Facebook or something, I hope that isn't Scott. And I thought, no way, man. And, well, and then, you know, later in the afternoon, they'd gone to check his house and... Right. And he, he hadn't been back to feed the cat, and that's when things were like looking dicey. Yeah. I was, yeah. we'd been, he'd still maintained a friendship with one of his ex girlfriends, and and I was talking to her on the phone, and she's like, that cat was part of our breakup. She she lived a couple miles away, and she was like, if he didn't have someone to watch the cat, he wouldn't stay the night over at my house. And if I suggested that the cat might be okay for ten hours all on its own, it was like, yeah. And yeah. so, and she's like, she's like. It doesn't look like he's been back in a few days, and and there wouldn't be anything that would keep him from coming home and taking care of the cat. Yeah. Anyway, we got verification late that evening that he was in fact gone, and it's just it, we're still like it just doesn't seem possible, you know. Yeah. And to be murdered. I mean, Surreal. Let's just say it. That's what happened, you know. And uh, you have no, I don't, I don't, and none of us do have any back history to draw from how to deal with this experience this is a once in a lifetime so you're just walking around in a day sometimes and i don't know i don't think there's any right or wrong way to deal with it but there's no good way it's it's just feels fucked up yeah i mean that that next day was probably the hardest for me i mean like Mm -hmm. i I woke up, you know, I didn't get much sleep that night. I woke up probably about like seven o'clock. I already had messages on my phone and mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I sat down at my computer before I even got dressed to like fire up a response to somebody, you know, next to my bed. And I didn't even get up to make a coffee for like two hours. I was like, okay, I got to drink some coffee and get dressed. Fuck. Yeah. And it was like, I think it finally at like 10 o'clock at night, I put my phone down and I'm like, I'm going out. I'm going to go shoot a game of pool. Mm-hmm. I got to get the hell out of here. In yeah. some respects, it kind of makes it worse sort of being in the public light and everything because i mean i i do love all the support that we've gotten from it but it's it sometimes can be a little bit overwhelming just considering the situation i mean i've never dealt with a murder personally uh before and so you know death is always hard as is but to have that be the reason and sort of having almost a finger to point or but also having tons of questions and then having all these fans you know, kind of asking you what happened or sending condolences. You're, you're not only trying to grieve, but you're also trying to run, you know, PR essentially, just dealing right. with everything else. You know, right? Yeah. There's an obligation there mm-hmm. to people that are concerned, you know, and they're messaging you, and these are friends, you know. Yeah. Some of them are close enough friends that you feel like they're part of an extended family. So, yeah. the, the the thought doesn't even arrive. Like I ain't even going to answer that 
you know, inquiry, you know, because all kinds of speculation is going on. Mm-hmm. You just kind of feel obligated to, to talk to people and, and help people through it, you know, and, and help me get through it. You just, you know, you just got to talk it through and like, what the hell happened here and try to make some sense of it. Uh, we've worked very hard to cultivate a relationship with our fans where we're not like, we want to be very open and accessible to these people. And, you know, cause, yeah. so we're not like, you know, okay, we're going to go back to the green room. And I, I guess I sort of recognize you. Hey, man, like. And Scotty was like the friends. ambassador of that whole month. It oh wasn't something he worked at. He didn't have to work at it. It was just his part and parcel of who he was. You know, he was he was out there. He, he loved it. Yeah. And if you did forget a name. That's who you asked, you know. Right. So it's like, oh, that name's slipping me now, and you just asked Scotty, and he remembered <laughs> oh, everybody's name. Tell you how many man. times I, we, who we, is that person, Scott? Yeah. Oh, that's George, whoever you know. We we would like meet somebody <laughs> yeah. on one right. break at a bar two years prior, and he would like get off stage and go give them a hug. They hadn't been talking, they hadn't been hanging out. He'd just be like, oh, this is Janet. She saw us when we played this uh, street festival two years ago, and she was like one of uh, 150 people we talked to that day. Right. <laughs> she works as a dog groomer. And, yeah, wow. yeah. Like, do you guys do you guys hang out or something? No. <laughs> just, okay, dude. Yeah. <laughs> just gets one of those minds. Yeah. yeah. Truly. Well, and he, it, it's like it was clearly it was just he cared. He really cared about that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, for me, it's just like – I. I I like people well enough, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I could probably tell you what we talked about last time we hung out or something, but it was like, for him, it was like his favorite thing. He certainly had that, that charisma about him. And I, I remember at the, when we did our Aggie theater show together yeah, yeah, for, you guys, right. for you guys CD release, um, uh, he sat in with us for a few times right. Yeah, right. That's and right. I wrote out, I wrote out some parts and he was super into it and was very, um, he took the time like after the rehearsal, he's like, Hey man, fix like these three things you know i'm not a trumpet player and he was super he wanted to get it right and he wanted to make sure it was just right oh yeah and it was just super enthusiastic the whole time and it mm-hmm. felt like when we were up there uh it almost it almost felt unfair to me because it felt like we'd had a horn section for years also mm, like yeah. he'd just been you know he just jumped in and did it yeah and it was cool he, he was into it he was uh it's funny because Scott lived out loud, you know, and yeah. the trumpet was the perfect instrument for him to be playing because it's a very loud instrument. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a brassy and, ta-da, you know, I Bombastic. mean, it's just, yeah. yeah, there's nothing subtle about nothing, it. Nothing. Yeah. Not, well, I mean, you can play it subtly, but he didn't usually. <laughs> Sometimes he can, yeah. he can do his cool little it, muted trumpet it, it was well tailored for his personality because it's sort of it's like hard to make like a, a saxophone yeah, yeah have that same level of like yeah. just intensity i mean he didn't even like to put the uh the mute on his trumpet he really did yeah we, we would have to remind <laughs> him all the time it's like this is the muted part and be like oh yeah and then he'd all have right. to pull it out of his bag <laughs> it was like to him it was just blow like the dust off let's <laughs> let's just blow this thing out of the water right now yeah you know? <laughs> here we go yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's tough, man, and and there's no way in the world to replace Scott. No, we can get a new trumpet player, and we have auditioned a new guy now that's going to be doing some shows with us, Isaac. And um, you know, we're excited about Isaac. He has a a different approach, and uh, you know, we're not asking him to be the live wire that Scott 
was. I mean, that would be unfair. And mm-hmm. and we're not we don't we didn't really want to go out and seek somebody out like that either. Yeah. You know, the way the direction we're wanting to really take things now will always be a fun band to go see. And you know, if you want to call us a party band, go right ahead. You know, um, but uh, we do want to kind of approach some different levels of arranging and um in our songwriting we've got ideas that you know we're just not a we don't we don't want to just lay in this kind of thing we've created we want to take it up another level yeah you which know, just be creative we are we are looking for some uh horn players if anybody's interested <laughs> well, hey yeah, dust we, off, dust it off. Yeah, we, we've been very fortunate um, with Scott and Eddie that they were on board 100 percent of the time, and we, it's in the last week it's been, you know, we're just not going to get that. You know, other people have commitments. Uh, uh, there's it's, it's hard to find someone that has that kind of availability. Yeah. You know, and so it's cool. You know, um, but we'll we'll. Part of being a blues man, which is in my heart, what I have been for a long time, is if the circumstance gives you, you know, a five-gallon tub to beat on and a kazoo, then that's the gig, and we're going to make it happen with a five-gallon tub and a kazoo. Yeah, you're going to kick ass. <laughs> People yeah. will be partying and dancing with, with those tools. But if the situation gives you, you know, a new horn player that plays trumpet a little more subtly and, uh, you know, and, and has ideas of his own, then we'll make it happen with that or whatever tools yeah. you know, you're presented with. Yeah. And I think we've been good about that in this band is like we take what we got and, and make something creative with it, you know, and and that's part of the fun of it i think really too yeah. of music making and challenges in the studio and lord knows we've had those um the not the sun studio record so much but the first one was really that was a challenge and and we we, we made it cool i mean we made it work out well yeah yeah we had, we had some weird challenges on that i mean we we dropped the studio we've been working out with halfway through it you know, we we done we did the first half of it there. We did the second half of it just in the living room at Dad's house with the equipment that we had. Yeah, you know, with better results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then midway through, yeah. you know, it's like we yeah we like got the tracks from the other studio finally, and so then we had to like mix. You know, I had to like mix the tracks in logic that were recorded in a studio and then make the match up with tracks recorded in Adobe audition in a living room and try to make that have some congru- congruity there. That was cool. And for the sound geeks out there, I mean, uh, four years ago, um, we had participated in the mile high blue society, IBC and washed out. And we didn't, we didn't go to Memphis right after that. Our friend Eve hit me up. She said, Hey, I'm doing the one down in Colorado Springs. Can you come play with us? And I was like, I've known Eve for years. You know, I, yeah, sure. You know, I'll come play it with you. I think we rehearsed twice. We went down there and won. <laughs> so I went to Memphis with her that year, and Ryan drove with me down there. And the whole way down, he had his laptop, and he he was mixing that CD. 
as we were driving down the road, wow. you know, he was doing the old method of like doing this, like the Phil Spector. I was just pumping it through an aux into the car speakers. Yeah, to so we could hear how it sounded just wow. in the in the vehicle. Yeah, and it came out it came out pretty well, I think. You know, all things considered. Yeah. Well, it, bearing in mind, I have like no formal sound engineering training or anything like that, but yeah, I just That's like impressive. You just went for it. Well, I know what I wanted to hear. I mean, this was this had become part of the problem we had with the studio we were working with, where if I'm spending money, I want to like I want to spend money not to think about stuff. And we dropped at a certain point, we dropped like two thousand dollars on on just mix sessions on these four songs, and they still weren't sounding right. And so I'm like, I'm not hearing what I want to hear. So I'm like sitting there. I I'm neurotic and compulsive. It's like when my brain bear traps onto something it's not going to let go and so i'm like what am i not hearing out of the guitars i'm like googling like how to eq guitars yeah he says he's not educated that's true if i'm not formally if you discount hours and hours surfing the internet reading interviews reading blogs (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know i mean but then i'd be coming into the studio and i'd be like okay i think you know 1.4 on the guitar needs to come up three dbs like this and i think you know this and the kick drum needs to be fixed and this would just be like i was like assembling this knowledge out of it i'm having to tell the guy that ostensibly we're paying to fix all this shit it was so funny andy i i'm sitting in the back of this you know in the in the fake leather couch in the studio you know and i'm watching andy and our old bass player dane or ryan and our old bass player dane and this guy that owned the studio in his big leather chair behind his console and ryan literally freaking elbows him out of his chair <laughs> <laughs> Excuse, I just, I just got to do one thing here. If you could just let me sit down, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to be fair, though, sound engineer's worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. I, we'd been, I'd been sitting there patiently for half an hour. I had this idea for like this pan sweep on the organ. Patiently, half an hour. I'm sitting there watching him fuck around, trying to write the automation on this fucking pan sweep, and I'm like, "You have pan knobs, right? You can just." You can just automate, like, just write the automation. Is this right? another soapbox? Uh, oh, God, dude. He's got a warehouse. Me being full in a studio, them, so. me being in the studio is like, no, it's a warehouse that's a soapbox. Yeah. 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 And I'm just like, all right, fine, fuck it. I'm just like, just play it, just set it to like write automation. I'm like, shh, shh, that's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. You God know damn what you it. want. You know <laughs> what you want. <laughs> you can get it. You're the producer. When, yeah. I, when I'm paying you fucking thirty dollars an hour, I don't want to sit there for half an hour while you try to figure out how to work a goddamn pan knob. <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> I can but, see where the arguments start in the band sometimes. Well, the problem is that in this particular instance, he's right. And this yeah. guy didn't know uh-huh. how to run his own equipment, and he was a friend of mine, you know. I mean, and um, a nice guy, but. He just literally didn't know how to run his gear, and and uh, Ryan had read up on it, of course, and and uh, I, I guess I have a certain amount of experience with these softwares because I went to school for photojournalism and my minors in video production, so it's like I I know something about audio engineering generally, you know. That, actually, that experience is what convinced me that what Ryan had been trying to tell me for a while is we should just do this at home. You know, we can spend this money on, you know, software, microphones, and do it in our house and get it just as good as results. And that's exactly what we wound up doing. And I don't know this next time around that we might not do some of that again. We haven't really decided yet, honestly. I mean, it's like it's a nosebleed. It's a nosebleed for me, you know. 
because again, this is like not a, a side of this that I specifically enjoy. I don't want to have to like really be thinking about like the EQs and compressors on basses and guitars. I can do it and I know what I want to hear. I'd rather have somebody that I can trust to like get this sound. Yeah. The problem we, we've run into with finding someone to have a relationship with is that we're making music that is referential of like the mid to late 1960s to early 70s, you know? And what, like what the problem was in this studio is like they don't want to incorporate any of those techniques. You know, they don't want to mic a drum kit the way you'd mic it in 1968. They want to mic a drum kit like you do in 2019 and then try to like slot things into position. And it's like the whole thing doesn't sound like the sound that I want to get. <coughs> if we could find somebody that we could have a relationship with that like gets the kind of sound we're going for and is willing to work with us on that, that'd be great. I just haven't found that person yet. That'd and be I'm, the right thing. And I'm like, Fully uncompromising. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I wanted to ask one more question about uh, about Scott. Um, we've we've read the the articles that have come out and stuff. Is there any is there any updates on the on the investigation? There hasn't been anything new in a couple weeks on that. I think April thirtieth is the dude's court date that's been accused, and uh, there really isn't much new. I mean, there yeah. the the. Um, district attorney and on the and all those their crew is kind of wanting to keep a lid on it i think in order to ensure the purity or whatever you want to call it of their presentation and stuff and um you know we've been told that there's possible there might be more arrests as far as maybe um, accessories but we haven't seen that happen I've been checking the Well County website there that I know of that I've seen. I haven't seen any other arrests in regard to it. It is a complicated tale, you know. The, the guy's girlfriend is wound up dead too a week later, so he's charged with two murders and two counts of tampering with the human body. So this guy is bad news, obviously. Uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but. You know, you look at the charges and the situation of these two people that are dead. That it's, in my opinion, it looks pretty much like they have a strong case. And well, I'm, and we've talked to the lead investigator and and the guys up at Larimer. I mean, they they put the pedal to the floor to try to get this done. I mean, the lead investigator said like in the first week he'd slept like fifteen hours. And they, they worked had, their asses off. They up had like all there. 24, 25 investigators that worked for Larimer County. We're all working around the clock. And then they then Well County got in, involved and the Greeley PD. They had like a team of forensics people on top of all those uh, investigators. So they they put to they they really did try very hard to build a very strong case. And they're I think they're the, the lead investigator said they he feels like they have a pretty bomb proof case yeah, on them. Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear little bits and pieces of rumors, but I don't really want to put that out there. Of course. You know, because I, for me, I want to see him nail this guy. If, if in fact he is guilty, which kind of looks like he is to me, you know, I don't want to do anything to dilute their case at all. So, yeah. and, and the little bits and pieces that have come out of nothing of any consequence really, and everybody's speculating, is it a love triangle? Well, maybe maybe not maybe just, i could see scott just stop over there to have a couple of drinks and be scott and and maybe this guy was in you know drugged up or drunk or whatever and came in and got the wrong idea i mean it could be anything you know right. it, it literally could be anything so um 
I don't know. It's it's really sad though. I know that, and um, I'm really kind of dreading and anticipating that April 30th date because I know then a bunch of details are going to come out, and it's going to be another round of phone calls and interviews and all that, and it's going to kind of dredge it all up again. But it's a necessary part of the process, I suppose. So yeah. will you guys attend? Yeah, we've talked yeah. about it. I'm yeah. going for I'm, sure. I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. I want to look this dude square in the eye. Yeah. Answer, answers are really the thing that I want at this point. It's been the hardest thing in this whole grieving process of, you know, not knowing what happened. You know, usually when someone close to you dies, you kind of have some answers. And when it's not a murder case, you know, whether they, you know, it was a suicide or, you know, natural causes, it may not, you may not have the whole picture, but you have more answers than you do in this situation. And so answers would make things, you know, harder in some respect, but also give you a little bit of ease of mind. So you're not just kind of running through all these scenarios in your head where you don't really know what the truth actually is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been so such a slow roll because there was like the first four or five days before this guy got picked up where, I mean, obviously the cops weren't able to tell us anything, but all that we knew is that, you know, Monday morning, Scott's body had been picked up as a John Doe on the side of the road. And it wasn't until Tuesday that they connected his case with it. And then it was just, and that was all we knew is that he was found. That he was found dead they, up in the Poudre Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. In a, a freaking snowbank. And, yeah. And then that was that. And so it's like, everything's been so slow. And it's, it was a little bit better once they picked this guy up and it was like, okay, they have a case, but there's, you know, there's half a week where it was like this could just be it yeah we're it's weird to be grateful about morbid stuff like the fact that they found your body buddy's body instead of scott just disappeared nobody knows where he went and nobody's heard from him now for a year or you know i mean it's it's really good that they found him when as soon as they did you know and that we were not here just wondering what happened is that that shit happens yeah yeah mm-hmm. and you know that's a weird thing to be grateful for but i am really grateful for it because that would really drive me crazy and uh, well i just feel so badly for scotty's family you know mm. his mom is in hospice care so his dad got the unenviable job of going to her and she's in hospice care you know you know what that means and having to give her this news you know these people they're amazing i'm very strong family and we're the memorial for him is next month i don't know how soon you're going to air this podcast but it's in march 28th yep yes march 28th up in Greeley, and you can go to our facebook page and find the details for all that and mm-hmm. the public is invited it's going to be in a huge uh, church area and the band is going to play and uh, this Elvis impersonator George Gray that uh, Scotty uh, was working with from time to time also does a gospel thing so he's going to do a, some gospel music early on and there's going to be some speeches and this and that I think we're going to say some things and and uh, friends and family and uh, we're going to end up with the band playing you know and um, it's going to be a long, hard day, but a good day. It's weird how cathartic music can be. I Truly. Mean, that show we did last Saturday night at Moe's 
was necessary. Uh, necessary, very difficult, man. Mm. I mean, even if you think, yeah, I'm I'm okay, you know, I'm okay. And then you're up playing the song and there was this one part that you've heard this guy play half know, a decade times. For yeah. half a decade, yeah, over and over again and your ears are waiting for that part to come in and it's just like not there, and you're like, wow. You yeah. know. It's just uh, it was a really weird one last night at the Columbine because oh because God. before we left for Memphis, our original sax player Eddie Silk had had decided he needed to take some more time to focus on his family and stuff like that, and so he was just having to back off. You know, he's got two college age kids, and it's like fair enough. And so we replaced him out, but our our new guy wasn't available, and uh, and so he came back and played the gig, and and that was even weirder because now it's like the original group of us. But well, like minus Scott, yeah, it, yeah. it made it even weirder because like when everything's been sort of a little bit dissociative now, like, well, this is this really is the way it's been for years, except for just minus the one piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, weird thing for me was we were loading in. I had my head in the back of my suburban dragging equipment out, and some we were right next to the the entrance to the bar, and Scott was a loud talker. <laughs> he had a big boomy voice, and some guy was in there talking real loud, and it was like the same timbre or whatever and i just for a flash there i was like wow that's scott oh you know i mean it just sounded like his voice in there yeah and so stuff like that you know it's just gonna take time man mm -hmm. and you just have to like i told nick Polly, our bass player you know we just have to all cut each other some slack with this and know that there's going to be times when one guy's doing okay and another guy is falling apart and you know, just keep pushing forward and doing the best we can with it. And, you know, we've gone around, around and around about this a little bit. You know, everybody says, and I'm one of those people, Scott would want us to move forward. He'd be pissed if we didn't. Yeah, of course. And, you know, some guys have said, well, maybe, maybe not. Well, I don't know, man. This guy... He was like a force of nature, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course he'd want you to. Yeah. And Scott, Scott didn't have any stop in him. I mean, even to a detriment sometimes. I mean, we, we were like playing gigs at the Snake Up in Keystone. Yeah. It'd be like four o'clock in the morning. We're all like burnt out. It's been a long day. And Scott would be literally in his fucking underwear, <laughs> turning on the little 40 year old clock radio in the corner and like sitting there tooting along to it it's like with, with his horn it's time to go to bed scott fuck go to bed but it's yeah. just, he just never stopped you know yeah. and it's yeah. like Always it's one go. of those things where it's like sometimes it was like a little bit much but that was that that, that was, was this dude yeah. you know yeah well i appreciate you guys so much for coming on and, it, and it's certainly sure. a, a a bittersweet time personally and for and for the band um i know there's a lot of great stuff coming up for you guys. Yeah, and yeah. As the band moves on, and there's some new recordings that it sounds like maybe Ryan's going to have to record. I don't know if anyone else will, will do it. <laughs> yeah, no, uh -huh. we'll see if anyone else is up to the challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, any any last words? Uh, well, we're we're playing the Greeley Blues Jam this summer, which is going to be cool. On a, I mean, Scott was from Greeley, you know, and the Greeley Blues Jam is one of the big blues fests in Colorado. Um, even in the West, you know, for that matter. And that's going to be a big day. Uh, also, my old, old dear friend Johnny Sansone is coming up from New Orleans to, yeah. to play that. So I'm looking forward to seeing Johnny as well, sidebar there. But we're looking forward to that show, you know. Um, 
um, for lots of reasons. I went to high school up in Greeley, so, oh, you know, that's going to be a big one. And we got some other big shows coming up, you know, at festivals and stuff this summer. So keep an eye out for us listeners. Uh, you know, this is this is a shot to the gut losing Scotty, but, you know, the energy and the, uh, the joy of music making is something that uh he, i mean scott added to something that was already there when when he came on board so that's not going anywhere yeah. i think we're all feeling a, a lot better after we did that show at Moe's. it I, was it was hard but it was it, you know it, it put some ballast in our tanks a little bit we we had a huge sewing of support for everyone you know yeah i mean that's the double edge like we were talking before where it's like everyone wants to know what's going on and they're hitting you up but consequently when these people show up for their support i mean it's real you know it's not like mm -hmm. like oh i'm just here to be like part of it i mean we had we had a hundred people in there that had come there just to yeah just to give hugs be a shoulder and, and yeah. you know people yeah. we hadn't seen in a long time and stuff like that but it's like it, it was real yeah and so i think that kind of helped saw out like get things refocused because there'd been this few weeks where it was just like you know, you feel like you just went through the spin cycle. Yeah, a huge shout out to those fans and family and friends and stuff that have yeah, much love y'all. Just been well. I don't want to talk about it too much because I'll start blubbering like a fool. But thank you <laughs> yeah. all. We love you. Yeah. And uh, of course, in the show notes, there's links to Movers and Shakers social media sites mm -hmm. and where you can where you can see them coming up and and how you can listen to their music. So uh, check out the show notes for more info on the band. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Thanks Andy. man. Thank you, guys. <laughs>
Okay. 